Heather Avis is the founder of The Lucky Few, a New York Times bestselling author, podcaster, and a Down syndrome advocate working to create a more inclusive world where everyone belongs. For more than a decade, she has led this effort by shouting worth, shifting narratives, and reimagining what it looks like when we embrace our differences. Heather just released her third book called Everyone Belongs, a children's book that teaches kids about being loving and inclusive, especially to those who have disabilities. Heather patiently and graciously talked through all my questions about what it's like to be a mom of kids who have Down syndrome and gave beautiful advice on how we can teach our kids to be more inclusive and why she believes it starts with our kids. I learned so much from this interview and left feeling so uplifted, and I know you will too. All right, Heather, I'm so excited to talk to you today. And on, you know, the day after your huge book launch, this is a really big deal. And I'm so grateful that our paths crossed just a few weeks ago at this speaking event where you did a beautiful job telling your story. So I'm really excited that you agreed to come tell your story here too. My goodness, I'm excited. The privilege is all mine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, for anyone who isn't familiar with you, and I know a lot of people are because I saw, I swear everyone that I knew was shouting out your book yesterday. (laughs) But for anyone who maybe hasn't heard of you, can you tell a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? Sure. So my name is Heather Avis. I live in Southern California with my family. My husband, Josh, and I have been married for 20 years and we have three kids, 13, 11, and eight. And it's wild because I don't think I'm over 27, but right. but I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> Birthday is 28 um, every year. Exactly. Yes. Every year, right? How is this? How does this happen with time? And we, my husband and I run an organization called The Lucky Few. And that comes from, it was inspired by our, our oldest daughter who has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And our youngest son also has Down syndrome, but The Lucky Few came around before our son did. And it, the phrase simply meaning there are few of us who love a person with Down syndrome and those of us who do are so lucky. Yes. And it started out just like a little blog. My, my oldest was born in 2008. Mm-hmm. And if you've been around long enough, that's when everyone started a blog. The family blogs <laughs> with the blog yes. roll and All what it, we did right? this weekend. And yep. 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 So I went from working as a special education teacher. So career to full-time stay-at-home mom and and I am an entrepreneur. Ideation is my strength. So I needed, and creativity. So I like needed an outlet for that. So yeah. that was part of the blog too. And that just grew in lots of different ways as social media opened up. We started an Instagram account. And it the whole point of it was, how do we tell a truer story about Down syndrome? Yeah. So not like a rainbows and unicorns, not this is all good and happy because that's not the case for anybody, mm-hmm. right? Or for any story. But how do we tell... How do we go from this narrative around Down syndrome that is fear and shame and devastation to, and it's usually that narrative is attached to people who don't have a relationship with a living, breathing person who has Down syndrome. Yes. How do we take that narrative and shift it to a truer narrative where people who love someone with Down syndrome actually feel really lucky to be able to know and love a person with Down syndrome? So we do that, I believe, through relationship. And that starts with our story. So we started telling our story. This is what it looks like to raise a child with Down syndrome, just the day in and day out. And then that just grew. It grew on our social media platform. I got an opportunity to write 
a book, a publishing house reached out to me and asked if I'd ever want to write my story into a book. So my first book, The Lucky Few, came out in 2017, which is a memoir. And then I that led to another book, which led to my dream, my all-time dream, which is to be a children's book author. Oh, um, I didn't know the that. The publishing space. Yeah, that, that was your ultimate the, dream. How beautiful. Yes, it really was. The publishing space is a, um, a wild ride. Mm-hmm. So I once I had my foot in the door, essentially, I had a more opportunity, which I'm grateful for. So I wrote my second children. My first children's book came out last year called Different, A Great Thing to Be. And then my... Second children's book came out yesterday called Everyone Belongs. Today's August 10th. Is that okay that I yes, say that totally. to your listeners? Okay. Yep. <laughs> For context. So all that to say this organization that my husband and I run, there's a nonprofit branch and an LLC. It's just all about how do we tell that Down syndrome story? How do we shift the Down syndrome narrative? So the books I write, we have a podcast, social media influencing. We really try to work as influencers with larger brands to bring representation and to bring the story through the media. The media has so much impact on what we believe and think about people groups. Mm -hmm. So we've had some great, great opportunities with that. So that's a bit, a little bit about who I am and what I do. I guess that's more like the work side of it. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Well, and I find it fascinating that you said you were a special ed teacher. Is that right? Before, before Mm -hmm. you had children? Yes. So this was something that was like close to your heart before you even had children of your own. Yeah, it was. I, in high school for one of my, my senior year, or once I had a car, my elective was off campus Mm -hmm. as a TA in a special classroom in elementary school. And it was, it, the disability community has always just been a community that I have loved deeply. Um, My understanding of it and my relationship to that community has evolved as we all do, right? It's grown and shifted and evolved. Right. And bringing children into my life who have disabilities has definitely changed changed me, I think, for the better. But when we, all of my kids came home to us through adoption, mm-hmm. which is a very long story. It's in my first book, The Lucky Few. But when we learned about Macy on paper, we had said no to all she is on paper. We did not want a child with a disability. We did not want a child with health issues. I think like most moms who are pregnant, it's like, what do you want? I don't care, boy, girl, maybe mm-hmm. you have a preference. I just healthy baby. Yeah. As a as a parent pursuing as a mother pursuing motherhood through adoption, that was me too. I just want a healthy baby. And then a very long story we learned about Macy and couldn't unknow her. It just was one scary step in front of another and ended up saying yes to bringing her home. I call her my scariest and best yes and she's changed the trajectory of our lives. She's changed me forever and for the better and I'm so thankful for that. That is so cool. I love what you said about you couldn't unknow her (laughs) once you learned about her. So, and I also want to just talk for a moment about that line that you said that I have heard so much and I'm sure I've even said it myself. Like, I just want a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. I became a little more sensitive about that statement when one of my very dearest, closest friends had a daughter who had hydrocephalus and just a myriad Mm -hmm. of of challenges that she'll live with for the rest of her life. And so I now I it's like kind of a cringe to me when I hear that, like, oh, maybe that is making someone feel like if they don't have a perfectly healthy baby, then that's not wanted or somebody wouldn't want that baby. Or I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but what are your thoughts being a mom of two children with special needs? Yes, I hear you so loudly. 
first of all, you can't know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. right? I think that there's like a, there really is just a deep grace for parents where they're at in their parenting journey, because it's such a learning, a journey of learning along the way. And I, and I, I would, I feel like it's a little cringy too, when someone says that, like, because if you want to dissect it, what we're saying comes from this idea of ableism, which is Mm -hmm. like, if you think like racism or sexism, ableism, meaning that there's like a a hierarchy within people, depending on their abilities. So Mm -hmm. people without disabilities are a higher level of human than disabled people, which is how our society functions, which is where we can easily say, oh, I just want a healthy baby and think that that's fine and normal and okay, and not dig deeper and see, like dissect that and see that what that's actually communicating is that babies who aren't healthy, and we can put that almost in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, people who aren't healthy are less human. Yeah. And I don't believe that to be true. So there is, I think that is behind that saying is a lack of awareness mm-hmm. of how our society and our structures and our systems, what they communicate about disabled people and how we treat disabled people and how harmful that is just to the disability community. But I really believe it's really harmful to our collective humanity if we can't see the goodness and worth and that intrinsic value in all humans, then I think we can't see it in ourselves. And I think that's really harmful. So I also want to ask you a clarifying question that I'm just realizing because I just said special needs and you're saying disability community. Is there a proper term right now that is like the kind of generally accepted this is the way that you should identify that group? Yes. Okay. Great question. Okay. Let's start by saying language is like a river. It is moving and shifting always. Mm -hmm. And then to add, and I'll say when we're speaking about somebody outside of our own community group, our own people group, we should be getting our cues from them. Yeah. And there's been a trend and a history of able-bodied neurotypical people, really parents, deciding what the terminology should be for disabled people and the disability community really recently in the last five years, especially I'd say even more than the last three disabled advocates are saying we, we want identity first language. We people feel people first language was created by non-disabled people to make them feel better or whatever. So terms like differently abled special needs, those are terms that I used to say differently abled in my first books. If you go back and read them, that is how I refer to the disability community as differently abled. And until I heard disabled advocates say, that's not what we, we are not ashamed of our disability. Mm. So don't take it from us. Let us identify with that. So that's where, that's where it comes from. So a lot of disabled advocates are saying, I am a, I am disabled and that's not a bad, shameful thing. Therefore I will lead with that. Mm. Yes. I, I like that you noticed that. So I started in the, even in just last couple of years, I've shifted my language to disability first when I'm speaking of the general population or the general group. And I will, it's not the same for every group. So in the Down syndrome space, it is people first language. And there's like a little bit of a nuance there when it's a syndrome, it can get very complicated. But But when you're saying that, you mean saying like you have a daughter with Down syndrome. That's what you mean. Instead of like you have a Down syndrome daughter, right? Exactly. Yep. So in the Down syndrome space, we're not saying the disability first. That's not the kind way to speak about people with Down syndrome. Right. They are part of the disability community. And you would say a disabled person. So it's it can get a little tricky. And again, if you're feeling like this is too much, just 
listen to the voices in those spaces. I think if if the language piece feels really confusing, then it's like, oh, maybe I actually haven't been listening to this group of people before and I can learn about language and more from listening to them and inviting them into my life in some capacity. Yeah, that's so helpful. Thank you for You're taking welcome. the time and, and yeah. being graceful about accepting that question because I feel like it can be really sensitive. So, but yeah, yeah, that was really helpful. Thanks. Okay, so let's go back to, I would love to talk about kind of some of your, some of the initial impressions you had about taking on a daughter, a brand, what did she come to you brand new, a brand new baby who had Down syndrome? Yeah, we learned about her at six weeks old. Oh, wow. Okay. And then she came home a little under four months. She was just like three months, three weeks. Okay. Okay. What? Tell me the question again. Sorry. Just, <laughs> no, you know, I some of your initial it. feelings and then how that grew, okay. how you developed, what changed over time. My initial feelings were just fear and disappointment. Again, like I said, I couldn't un I couldn't unknow her. Mm-hmm. I'm as a person of faith, it was, I can describe it as like a spark in my heart, which is very abstract, but I read an email from our social worker that was just an update on what's happening in the agency. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning, we had checked no to Down syndrome. My daughter had a had a congenital heart defect. We checked no to that. She had a lung condition. We checked no to like major health issues. We had said no to all those. So my social worker wasn't presenting her to us as a possible baby for us. It was just like, this is what's happening in the agency right now. We have babies with Down syndrome we're trying to place. Da, da, da. I was like, oh, I read those words, babies with Down syndrome. And I was like, oh my gosh. I don't, I wish I didn't read that because something changed in me when I read that and thought, I wonder if we should pursue this. Mm. Then talked to my husband about it, hoping he'd be like, no, of course not. And he's like, yeah, I think that we should pray about that. I'm like, ah, that's not the right answer. <laughs> and we did. And it looked like a phone call to the social worker. Like, hey, can you tell us more? What's really interesting about Macy is by from the time I learned about her, I read that email to the time I made a phone call to the social worker, a week had gone by. There were two babies at the time. In that week span, one, they placed a baby with the family. And the other baby, they hadn't placed and they decided to push pause because they had discovered a bunch of health issues that they didn't know about those first six weeks mm. of life. So they were pushing pause. Now, fast forward to after Macy was three and we had an, this occupational therapist who had been her occupational therapist from birth to three years old. So it was with her in those first few weeks. She told us that she remembers around that time when they were like, this baby's actually not going to live past a couple more weeks. So mm-hmm. they weren't planning on adoptive placement because she w- probably was going to pass away wow. around like she had maybe a couple weeks to live. So we called. That's all happening in the background. Our social worker doesn't tell those details, mm-hmm. but she's like the one baby was, was placed. The other baby, we just learned some other stuff. She's not adoptable right now, but if something comes up, I'll let you know. And then I just hung up the phone like, well, that was weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, okay. And then we went on with our life. Another six weeks or so went by and got a phone call from our social worker and said, remember that baby I told you about? We now have a better understanding of her diagnosis and what we're looking at when it comes to her health. Would you like to know more? And we did. And so we went and learned about this little girl who, yes, had Down syndrome, but then had it was very medically complicated and needed open heart surgery and was on oxygen 24-7 and multiple medications throughout the day. And did we want to 
bring her home. <laughs> wow. And it was, it was like, what is happening here? You know, like what is happening? And a lot of the process was moment by moment. It was confusing. It was really, it came down to, I don't want to say yes, but I know I can't say no. Mm. Like a holding pattern. And all of this is happening in, in a three week span from the time we got that second call about her and showed up and met with the social worker and met with her nurse and all this to the time she came home was three weeks. It was very, it's, adoption is like, hurry up, hurry up and wait. And yes. then a weekend, like tomorrow you have a kid. It's, it can be very, very quick. Mm-hmm. It was just, a. it was, a, like I said, one foot in front of the other and making the decision to continue to do that. And that ultimately led us to saying yes to bringing her home. The yes was interesting because for me, I went through infertility and I had like dreamed of this moment of a pregnancy test and announcing to my family and I had had to let that go. Mm -hmm. And then I had this moment of we're going to get a phone call about a baby and I'm going to be like, guess what? We're getting a baby. And everyone's like, yeah. And I had to let that go because the phone call to the grandparents and the aunties was, okay, so we decided to say yes. Like they're on this journey with us and it was somber and it was like a, okay, are you sure? You know? Yeah. What was that like with your family? Did they support you? Was there some hesitation? Yeah, it was, I think it was appropriate hesitation. Mm -hmm. It was like asking us good questions. I'm a bit of a rescuer. Mm -hmm. So just like I, I had a really good conversation with my mom early on and she was saying, I'm just worried about you, right? Like I'm her child. Right. And she wants to keep me from potential harm and suffering. And we're going to bring this baby home who might not live very long and had all these issues and has Down syndrome. I could see that she wanted to keep me from harm and from having my heart broken. And I just said to her mom, you, you raised me to have a strong head on my shoulders. Like you raised me to make good choices like this. You have to trust me right now. I know that, that I have been prone to want to rescue people, which, but that's also not totally bad, but that's not this. You have to trust that I see the severity of this decision for me and for our whole family. And I think after that, it was like, okay, everyone was just kind of taking our lead, following our lead. And then we brought her home. And then it's like, there's a, there were a lot of things happening in those three weeks. <laughs> but when she finally came home, then there's a baby in your arms. And like any mom can attest, it's like that you're holding a baby, like a living, breathing human being. Mm-hmm. And all they have is potential, right? Like all they have is is potential and goodness. And so then she's in our arms and she's our kid. And not just that, but I was a mom and that was a desire I'd had for years. And she fulfilled that in me. It was very quick from the time she like was placed into my arms that we were just head over heels in love. And then very quickly after that, realizing like, wait a second, I feel so lucky to have this child. I feel so lucky and grateful that when we go to to the park, she's the only one there with Down syndrome. Like I look around and think, that's my kid. Oh my gosh, I get her. Yeah. I get her. Yeah, that all happened very quickly in our family. I mean, everyone's just completely head over heels for her very quickly. Yeah. I love that. So tell me some of the things that you learned as time went on, you know, being a parent of a child with Down syndrome. 
Um, you learn real quick that once she steps outside my front door, she's stepping into a world that questions her value and worth. Mm. That was, that's kind of, that's pretty obvious. Like you just, you just know it. Yeah. You just know it when you walk into places, people either, they, they dehumanized her by either like feeling sorry for her because she has Down syndrome or making her out to be like some holy angelic creature because she has Down syndrome, which is kind of the opposite ends of a spectrum, but both dehumanizing. Mm. Lots of comments from people. And then you enter into, there's a need to enter into si- systems. So a school system, um, community things like a extracurricular or a church. And you realize, oh, when we're in these spaces, she's very much othered. And then by proxy, we are too. Then as a mom, I'm starting to fight for her to have an equitable space mm. place in all those spaces. Yeah, And that just doesn't get better. Unfortunately, it just gets a little more noticeable as she gets older. I think junior high, she's in middle school. She started eighth grade. Today was her first, is the first day of school. Oh, and wow. Middle school it's is brutal. Middle school is rough for everyone. So I can't, for everyone. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, was close to at drop up. I thought, we're, no, you're not coming to this place. Like we're, we're not doing this another year. Ah, but we'll see. I mean, I don't totally deny that <laughs> or retract that. Yeah. Once we entered in, into systems, it just became more and more obvious that there's not a place for her to be and have Down syndrome. Part of my journey that I find really interesting that I can see now is because of ableism, because of a society that is just founded upon ableism and those kinds of ideas, that kind of ideology and a humanity that's historically so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go back to like ancient times when people who were not quote like a perfect human were discarded. And so that we've got like a, a big hill to climb and get over or to like put bombs in and demolish and start from a good place. That sounds violent and I'm not a violent person, but that's my analogy. Yeah. <laughs> but I realized when Misu was five, So five years in, it took me that long to recognize that I too did not see her as fully human. Mm. I thought I did. And I was pursuing things too. And I never would have questioned that about me. But I sat in spaces and realized, oh gosh, for the last five years, my pursuit for Macy of like therapies, like speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, early education, the certain reading program, the special tutoring, people at Down syndrome, all these things that I was doing, I was doing them so that she could be more like her neurotypical peers, more like the kids that are being accepted. Interesting. And yeah, and how harmful that is for her and how I had to check myself, even as a parent, and realize, wow, I have believed these lies that there's a better kind of way to be human. And that moment forward really changed how I approached advocacy and parenting in every place that we've stepped into. So what is the more positive or productive alternative? Like to all those therapies and things? Yes. Or to even when you made that realization of, okay, this is what I've been doing. Gotcha. And so Mm -hmm. now I'm going to shift to this path. What does that look like? It's foundational. So what is my purpose for pursuing these things? So we still do tutoring and special reading programs and speech therapy and all of this. And it is for her like it would be for any of my kids. So she, she can be her best self. Mm. Or like, what am I? What do I pursue for me to be my best self? Not to be this person over here, which we do that too, right? As humans without yeah. disabilities, what are we pursuing so that we can be more like this 
social media influencer or this famous person or whatever. So it's that check of, okay, what, first it's what gives a human value and worth? And I had to answer that question for myself. Once I had that, then it's like everything that we step towards, that baseline is you actually don't have to do or be one more thing to be valuable and worthy and loved. You're good. Yeah, you already are. Yes. yes, you already are exactly as you are for her, for me, for you, for the listeners, you know, and we can pursue this thing to make ourselves our best to pursue being our best selves. Yeah. So you have to navigate that on your own. It's it's slippery and I slip all the time and have to bring myself back to that center. Right. So there's kind of a comparison piece is what I'm hearing you say. Totally. Like comparing yes. this is who you are and this is what I want you to be versus you already are everything Mm -hmm. And then these things will help you be your best self. Yeah. 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 I love that. For sure. Yeah. I love that. So can you tell me briefly the story about deciding to take on another child with the same Down syndrome? Yeah. That sounds. Mm -hmm. that also sounds like a lot that probably a lot of people would feel like that's and maybe it's not, maybe I don't want to assume anything, but yeah. Well, I mean, you are a mother of multiple children. Mm-hmm. A child is just a lot. Yes. Amen to <laughs> right? that. Like every kid, every kid is so much work and so much goodness at the exact same time. Yep. Being a parent is holding that tension. So our middle daughter, Truly, who's 11, came home through adoption. We went through the county. It was a very different adoption experience and came home with no disabilities, no health issues or anything. And then we knew we wanted a third child. And when we started pursuing that adoption, it was more, it wasn't so much even having another child with a disability. It was the timing of it. So if you have multiple children and you're bringing another baby in, there's like moments of, there's seasons of parenting that are, I call in it, where Mm -hmm. it's like, I can't put one more thing on my plate, right? Like if someone puts one more thing on me, my whole physical body might crack in half. Like I physically might break in two pieces. And then I'm, that I can't help, right? <laughs> so I was in that stage with Macy and Truly, just the ages they were. Macy was five, Truly was two and a half. Macy had, we were pursuing all these extra things for her. She still had a bunch of, not a lot of health complications. Most were resolved, but like lots of doctor's appointments, things like that. And then we started the process thinking it'd be a year later, like surely in a year, I'll be ready for this baby. And then- But even at that five and two and, a, two and a half, those are busy yeah. ages. Like so very busy. active, very hands-on. Yes. yes. All-consuming. Yes. Right. So I thought maybe the next year, like we'll be a little more adjusted, not even adjusted, ready. Mm-hmm. We started the process and the next day learned about a birth mother who was seven months pregnant with a little boy in utero diagnosis for Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect and was looking for an adoption plan. And again, it was like, well, this timing is not great, Yeah. <laughs> but I can't unknow this. And... Let's take a step towards it. The second time around, bringing home a child with Down syndrome felt much easier. Mm. It was more just the bringing home a child. Yeah. There were pieces that were that I had to learn how to hold. Like when Macy had open heart surgery, I didn't have other kids at home. So I can have all my attention on her. My son had to have open heart surgery. What does that look like with essentially two toddlers at home and having a child in the hospital? And so those things made things a little more complicated, but... I mean, anyone listening who's a parent, you know this, your capacity expands and you do what you have to do to care for your kids. Yeah. It just, we just knew as soon as I learned about him, it was like, okay, this is, this is our kid. I just know it. Or we get to raise this child. And then we did. He came home two months later. Wow. (laughs) 
And I'm sure, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just assuming, but I'm guessing that you received extra blessings for, you know, having taken on so much. So I feel like, you know, every mom does in, mm-hmm. in her own way. Sometimes, I mean, for me, at least, I sometimes sit back and think, I don't know how we're doing this, but but it's yep. somehow it's getting done every night and they go to bed and they're alive. So. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I think that's like really Down syndrome and disability aside, that is so much of parenting. Yeah. It's just being a mom is, whoa, we, we're doing this. Okay, we doing it. We did it. We made it yeah. another day. And our kids, all of our kids have their own unique needs. Yeah. And we just try to love them well through it. So shifting gears a little bit, why was a children's book on your heart? Why was that so important to you? Or two children's yeah. books now? Yeah. I remember being in fifth grade and thinking, I want to do this. How do you, how does someone do this, write a children's book? And I'm not artistic in terms of like painting or drawing. So that I knew that was never in the cards, but I would write poetry and I was always, I was always writing creatively. And then I pursued education. So I was going to be a teacher. Books are a huge part of being an educator Mm -hmm. and I love children's books and I had a huge collection of them before I had kids and I've just always loved them. I think, I think picture books really do cross over ages and like you can read a picture book. I believe this to a high school class and there can be a really good, important lesson in it because you have such a small amount of words that if you have a good book, every word is really impactful. Yes. And I, I love that about picture books for kids. I love that. So, so I knew I always wanted to, and then my avenue, my open door into publishing was for adult nonfiction. And I stepped through that, but never thinking I'd even be an author. And then it happened. Mm -hmm. And then really the message that I want to get across to everybody is this idea that everyone belongs, that who you are is enough. And let's see and notice and the differences in other people and embrace and celebrate them. And I believe that if and when things are going to change for the disability community, it's going to start with kids. Yes. Kids are just so good at being curious instead of judgmental. I think parents, we're just kind of judgmental. We don't realize it. Mm -hmm. Like it's judgment, then curiosity. Kids are like curiosity. Mm -hmm. Let me know more about this. How do I know more? And curiosity is a really gentle tool to relationship, to building relationships with people. So I think about kids. I think about like the kids who knew my kids as toddlers and babies and knew Macy compared to the kid who met Macy in fifth grade. Mm. And by the time they're meeting Macy in fifth grade, they're, they don't really want anything to do with her. She's scary to them in a lot of ways. But had they known her from preschool, she would just be Macy, right? Yeah. And not just her, but every person like her or anybody who's significantly different or has some kind of disability, because it's like, well, wait, I have comfort around this different kind of person Mm -hmm. that gives me an avenue to feeling comfortable around another different kind of person. So I I just think kids hold the key to the change that we need in this world. That is so cool. What an honor to get to write books that they read with their parents. And then the parents have to read it to them. So there's a lesson there for parents too. Yes. <laughs> Make it in. So on that note too, I mean, beyond reading your book, which is such a gift to so many people, what would you tell parents listening to this who are thinking, I want to be better. I want my kids to learn to be better, to be appropriate. But like you said, curious and and not hurt people's feelings. I mean, I'm always worried about that with my kids. Like, mm-hmm. Are they going to say something that's going to hurt someone's feelings in just that total innocent curiosity or 
Mm-hmm. Are they going to be inclusive? You can't follow your kid around on the playground. I have no idea. Right. I hope they're being right. inclusive. I hope they're being loving. We try to teach those things in our home. But what advice do you have for parents who are trying to do a good job of teaching their kids to be inclusive? Yes. Thank you for asking this question. What's great is that you don't have to do it alone. There's a lot of tools and resources out there to help you navigate something that you're unfamiliar with as a parent. And you have so much power to be the change maker in your home, Mm -hmm. right? And, And to lay that foundation for your kids. So when they step outside your front door, it's like a really strong foundation for them. So again, which is why I wrote my these two books is like, hey, parents, here's a tool. Yeah. Read this with your kids because they're going to ask a lot of questions and they're going to ask it in an environment where you get to decide how you're going to respond to that. Like you, a couple of things that you said, like you're worried your kids are going to ask embarrassing questions or things that are offensive. They will like that's just going to happen. So then how do we model in our home? Like, oh, gosh, I said this thing that hurt somebody. I did not mean to hurt anybody. So the next thing I do is say, I'm so sorry. And then you apologize. And then let's continue forward, right? I think that we model that in our home. We have that conversation, not shying away from it. It's really easy to like, shh, shh, just don't ignore it. Just walk away. They're fine. Everyone's fine. They're normal. They're just like you. It's fine. You know, I think it's like, oh yeah, there's a difference here. How does that make you feel? Because mm-hmm. when I'm around someone who's different than me, it actually makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I get like knots in my stomach. Do you ever feel that way? And have that conversation at home with your kids. Like that's totally normal. People who are different feel that way too about people who are different. That's a normal thing. So what do we do? Do we stop here and then just feel uncomfortable and shy away? Or do we step past that discomfort and go and say, hi, what's your name? And try to build a relationship. And then if if we make a mistake, do we just stop and walk away? Or do we continue forward and apologize and keep on moving forward and admit this is hard and this is uncomfortable, but is it worth it? Is it going to be worth it? And that's what you get to do as a parent is have that conversation and, and say, yeah, this is worth it because you're going to become, have a better, broader understanding about what it means to be human and to love others well. And this person might be a really rad friend too. They might be super fun and they might not. And that's okay too, because not everyone's our friend, right? Like these are, it's, it does feel really complicated, but when you get down to it and you're sitting around the table with your kids or you're reading a book and they're asking questions, I don't know the answer. Okay. It's okay to not know things. We can't all know things. Look what we have. Google. Let's Google it, right? Yeah. Um, how do you wish people would talk to you? I bet you this kid in your class wants to be talked to you like that too. Maybe tomorrow when you go to school, you could just say, hey, do you want to eat lunch with me? Or hey, do you want to read books with me? And you're going to feel nervous the whole time and that's okay. Why don't we practice? So those are just like things we can be doing at home. And then we're building a foundation for our kids. We're saying to them, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be wrong. Let's apologize. Let's see others as valuable. Let's ask questions. Let's push past the discomfort. Let's build those relationships. It starts with us. I love that. So I have another question too. If there's someone listening to this who is considering adopting a child who has Down syndrome or that maybe just got that news and they're pregnant or they are going to have a family member with Down syndrome, what is your advice to someone who is just barely walking into that situation? Yeah. I mean, the very first thing that I would say is congratulations. This is a baby. And I think that's good for people to hear. If you are the friend or the auntie or the grandparent Mm -hmm. and you want to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Just congratulations, a baby. Wow. This is so exciting. Everybody's journey is their own and you have to go through it. I mean, there's part of me on this side of it that wants to just be like, yes, this is amazing. I'm so happy for you. But that person might not be feeling that. 
that is okay. So feel what you need to feel. Yeah. And you'll get to the other side, go through the journey. But I would say everything you need to do this, you have it. You are equipped with it. You have it. Mm. And there is an incredible community just here, ready for you when you're ready for us. And you might even be thinking like, but I never wanted to be a part of that community. And that's okay to think that too. We're going to get you and it's going to be fun and you're going to love it. But you have to get there on your own, you know? Yeah. And enjoy your baby. Don't let don't let what the world has told you, the lies that the world has told you about what it means to be a person with Down syndrome, take away from you with a baby. A baby with Down syndrome is a baby. And they're going to come home and they're going to need you just like any other baby would. And you've got this. It's going to be really sweet. It's going to be good. You've got this. Those are beautiful words. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. So my last question for you is if there's one message that you want the listener that's listening to this to remember from this episode, what do you want that message to be? There's a line in my new children's book, Everyone Belongs, that the two sisters who star in the book say numerous times, and it is exactly who you are is exactly who we pick. Mm -hmm. And it chokes me up every time. It's a phrase that I just deeply want for me. You know, when I walk in his space, I think I'm emotional because it's the first day of school and it's just not the reality. So the thing I would say to the listener, and I would hope they can, if it's your parent or whatever, see in others is who you are as you are this moment. You are good and you are enough. And just period, period. Just be, just be you. You are, you are enough. You don't have to be more to be loved and valuable. I love that so much. Thank you, Heather. Tell me where people can find you and where they can find your books and your podcast and all of the wonderful things that you're doing. Yeah. So if you go to heatheravis.com, there'll be links to to all of those things. The book that came out yesterday, it's called Everyone Belongs and you can go to Amazon. It'll be there tomorrow and anywhere else books are sold. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all of your time and your thoughts and experiences. I really, I learned a lot today and I know everyone listening is going to learn a lot too. Oh my gosh, what a privilege to get to share. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,